Happy Tuesday, church. My name is Shana. I'm the preaching intern here, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. Um, some church services are just more memorable than others, which is like a real bummer for those of us who put tons of hours into every single week that you forget most of them. But like, it's true, right? Like sometimes you go to church and then two days later, you cannot remember a thing about what happened or what was said. But then there's other moments, like I meet people and talk to people who heard a sermon that just changed their world and it stuck with them. Or they heard a song that was so beautiful that they couldn't get it out of their head for weeks. I'm not promising that tonight is gonna be memorable like that, um, but I do have a story of a Sunday that was super, super memorable to me. It was earlier this year and I was checking out this church in the Denver area. It was a really great church. I loved being a part of it, really amazing sermons, really great worship, look forward to it. Um, But this one particular Sunday morning, I was starving. And I am like a eat four meals a day plus snacks and dessert kind of a person. So I'm like used to being hungry. But when I get really hungry, it escalates quickly. And so I was sitting there and my stomach was audibly growling. Like there were people like in rows ahead of me who were kind of like looking back like, what is going on? And I was kind of dizzy and like my body hurt. And I just like literally could not think about anything except for food. And I cannot tell you a word that the pastor said or a single song that they sang, but it's been almost a year and I like vividly and physically remember that Sunday. Pretty much every time I get hungry, I'm like, oh God, not that Sunday again. I'm assuming all of you have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs at some point in your life. It's basically like this theory that says we have to have certain needs met in order to focus on other things. For instance, we have to have food in order to hear a sermon and really like process it. So if any of you are starving tonight, I'm so sorry. That's a bummer for both of us. Um, <laughs> but so pretty much like in these, he like has these this like triangular chart and he breaks down a bunch of areas. But basically kind of at the bottom, we have like food, water, shelter, and safety are pretty much the widest parts of the triangle, AKA the core needs that we need to have met in order to focus on other things. And that's what we're gonna look at tonight. We are still in our series of Exodus. We are where the Egypt, the Egyptians, we don't talk about the Egyptians, sorry. The Israelites have just left Egypt. They have parted the Red Sea, God parted the Red Sea, they went through it. Phil told us last week about how what we see through that story is that God saves people through recreation and he invites them to be a part of that. And as we continue on in Exodus, basically what happens is God is trying to recreate the Israelite community and the way that they have learned to live. And one of the ways he does that is through how he addresses basic needs and how he wants them to see basic needs as a community. So that's what we're gonna jump into tonight. And we are in chapter 16 of Exodus. We're only going to be looking at a small part of it. Um, I'll have the verses up on the screen, but if you want to pull out your Bible app or your Bible and get that open, you are welcome to as well. It's always nice to follow along. Um, What we're going to talk about in this whole idea of basic needs 
is repeatedly throughout the Bible and the Old Testament, but we're just choosing one small excerpt today so that we can only be here for about 20 to 30 minutes and not like seven hours. So we are beginning in chapter verse, chapter 16, verse 2, if you're following along. And again, it's also right up there. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. So pretty much, Israelites were in slavery for centuries and centuries. And then God came and saved them and pulled them out and brought them in the desert and was like, I'm taking you to a really great place. And as soon as they got into the desert, they were like we hate this, this sucks, can we please go back into slavery, I am begging you, because there was food. Because right, even though the idea of being out of slavery sounds super cool, when they were in Egypt, they knew how to take care of themselves. They knew how to get meals, they knew what they were gonna do, they knew what every day was gonna look like, and in the desert, there was just nothing. And typically when we read this story or hear about these stories, we talk about the Israelites like they're a bunch of idiots. We're like, oh my gosh, God performed all of these miracles and he changed their world and he literally parted an ocean and all they do is whine. What is wrong with them? But tonight I'd actually like us to consider a different perspective and think about ways that we can show empathy to the Israelites. Because again, right, the Israelites were in slavery for centuries. And then Moses comes and he's like, God is gonna save you. And then if you were here for that sermon, what happened was Pharaoh goes, oh really, is he? And makes the slaves' lives a ton harder. And then all these crazy plagues happen that seem super scary. And then all of a sudden they're walking through a sea and then they're in a desert and they're really, really hungry and there is no food in sight. And so I think rather than the Israelites being idiots or ungrateful or blind, I think they're just scared and confused and traumatized. And what we see in this moment is that rather than God being like, y'all are a bunch of idiots, he actually meets them in that and he provides them with food. So we are going to jump back in at verse 11 because it actually summarizes perfectly all of the verses that we're skipping. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. This is a fun fact. It, it doesn't actually change what we're going to talk about tonight, but it's really, really funny. Um, so when we hear about quail coming and covering the camp, we're like, that's a weird miracle, right? But true fact, actually, when quails would migrate, they would get exhausted because they had so far to fly. And so they would literally pass out during their migration and just fall on the ground. And so it's still miraculous because of the amount that the Israelites were provided with. But they're like, is some context for that, where it's not actually the weirdest, most random thing in the world. Although, like, if you're walking and quails just start passing out around you, that's, like, kind of weird. But they would have known about that. Um, 
And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Not as funny, but also has some context. So there were like these tamarisk trees and like the dew would settle on them and create this kind of like honeycomb-ish thing. Um, and so we think that when they're talking about this, it's actually that, which again, the amount that was provided to them is still a miraculous blessing from God. But it's once again, not some like completely random thing that came out of nowhere and nobody knows why. When the dew was gone, thin lakes like thin, thin flakes, whoa, like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. That sounds confusing and contradictory because it says, take as much as you want. Just kidding, take an omer. But an omer is actually the measurement of a day's serving. That's like what they called it, which is actually like a nice short word instead of daily serving. So I kind of think that we should bring it back. But that's just my opinion. Use it if you want. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. We have a couple more verses we're going to read, but just like take a second and think about that phrase. Just as much as they needed. What we see here is like this redistribution, right? Where like some people gather a ton and some people gather a little bit and then they redistribute it and everybody has just as much as they needed in Omer. That's going to be our focus for today. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning because it's an Omer. It's a daily serving. So you don't need it for the next day. It's for that day. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Gross. So Moses was angry with them. Note here how it says that Moses was angry, not God. Moses doesn't have the same context that the Israelites have, right? He was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. He did not grow up in slavery. He certainly had some hard times, but... He also has this context of wealth where he does not understand the desperation and the hunger that the Israelites are facing, a lack of empathy. After this, we're, it kind of goes into the section on the Sabbath, which we're not going to talk about tonight. But if you want to learn more about the Sabbath, Phil gave a talk on it over the summer. So you can find that in our Spiritual Discipline Summer Series. Um, but for tonight, this is our story. God leads the Israelites into the desert. They get really, really hungry, and he gives everybody just enough. When you say it like that, it doesn't sound super exciting. But Walter Brueggemann, who's this really famous Old Testament professor, um, he talks about it in this really beautiful way, and he calls it a journey from scarcity into abundance. As God takes the Israelites from slavery out into the desert. He's using this time in the desert to recreate what community looks like, to recreate their vision from being his people. 
they no longer have to live in oppression and not having enough. They get to learn how to trust God. And I mean, the desert is really a perfect place to do that, right? Because as far as I know about deserts, there probably aren't very many distractions. So it's basically like a training boot camp for how to trust God. And why does he give them just enough, right? Well, as I kind of introduced with, and as some of you may, not, may know already from your own life, if you don't have the basic needs met, if you don't have food, if you don't have water, if you don't have a place to sleep, if you don't feel safe, it is really, really hard to be the best version of yourself. And it is really, really hard to share your gifts with other people, to be there for people well, to care about others. And I mean, yes, I know that the Bible says that we should be able to worship God fully when we are hungry and we are starving and in any circumstances. And that is true. But just because we should be able to doesn't mean that that's what God wants us to have to do. It is not God's vision and goal that his people do not have enough. And why can't they all just have a ton, right? Like, why can't everybody just, like, get a ton of bread and a ton of quail and carry it around for as long as they want? Because when we have too much, as some of you may have also experienced, sometimes we focus on the wrong thing. You know, we get caught up in all that we have, and we kind of forget what it even looks like to need God, because why would you worry about it when you have everything that you could ever want? And also, like Moses we can fall into the trap of not having empathy because we don't know what it feels like to be starving, to not know where we're going to sleep that night, to wonder if we're going to be okay. And so what this idea looks like for us of God's community being people who just have enough kind of changes like depending on our circumstance, right? So first I want to talk about what this means and looks like if we are someone who currently does not have enough. And then I want to talk about what this looks like if we are someone who does. So if you are someone who is currently struggling to have your needs met, if you don't have enough food, if you don't have a place to live, if you are scared all the time, I believe that God cares about you. I mean, literally the Bible is full of stories for people who are in that situation. The Israelites are in that situation. And God provides for them. He meets them where they're at. I actually, I kind of know what this feels like. So for a while, I did not have enough food or a place to live. It was not necessarily the brightest time in my life. But so if that is where you are, you really are safe here. You are welcome. We care about you. We don't judge you. And I really think that this story says something powerful for you. So when we talked about earlier where the food was redistributed, you know, where like some people got a ton and some people got a little bit, it actually doesn't say in the story exactly how that redistribution happened. So some people say that God stepped in and miraculously did it. But typically in Exodus, when God performs a miracle, it very clearly says that God did it. Now what other people say, and the belief that I hold to, is what Phil had talked about last week, that when God is doing this recreating work, he invites us into it. And what a lot of scholars believe is that it's actually the people who sat down together and redistributed the food. They remeasured it to make sure that everybody had an omer, 
It was a community-wide effort. And we today as the church, we're supposed to be the hub of God's work, right? We're supposed to be his community. That's where it's supposed to happen. And so if you are somebody who is struggling, this kind of space is supposed to be a safe space where you can come get those needs met. And churches do not always do that perfectly, right? You may have been at a church, you may be at a church, you may come to a church in the future that does not care for you in the way that you deserve to be cared for. But that doesn't mean that God's vision isn't true. That just means that that church is still learning how to do that. When I was really, really struggling, um, I was at a church in California at the time, and the church like came around me, and like literally members gave me their old clothes and old cooking utensils and old furniture, and somebody paid for me to have a space to live, and they like supported me to the point where they actually took me from being like a confused, lost kind of almost Christian to sending me off and paying for me to go to seminary and become a pastor which was really powerful. And then I came to seminary and ended up getting plugged in at TNL, and TNL has been able to be there for me to fill in some financial holes in really powerful ways too. So I do believe that this can happen. And if you are someone who is struggling, not only should the church be a place for you or you get that, but you have a biblical reason to hold churches accountable to that. You do not have to be scared and hide and feel embarrassed. I know that it can be embarrassing, right? Because people always say, like, work harder. If you just do this, if you just do that. And, like, obviously there is truth to working hard and not being a bum. But there are also times where, like, hard work just doesn't cut it. And you do not need to be ashamed to come here and ask for help. Or if you are someone who is attending a different church and are just visiting tonight, ask a different church for help. Wherever you go, that's okay. But you have the right to stand up and say, I need this. And that is biblical and valid and is not embarrassing. I know that when I started getting help, I was able to be a way better person because I had the ability to give back to the church in ways that I couldn't before. I had the energy to serve. So you matter, you are valid, and you should not be embarrassed. So what about, though, if you're someone who, like, currently has enough? Because of the ways that church have supported me, I actually am one of those people now. I have a fully insured car. My socks do not have holes in them. I buy fancy shampoo. It is really, really nice. I am living comfortably. I would actually argue that I have excess and that a lot of us do. But we don't tend to think of ourselves as people with excess, right? Because, like, we live in America, and there is always something that you need more for. Houses are over a million dollars in Colorado. College is, like, 250K. Retirement accounts are never big enough. And so we end up with all of this extra money and stuff, like the what-if closet or the just-in-case garage or the maybe in a couple years storage container, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that doesn't feel extra because we live in a society that says we never have enough. But in this story where everybody has just as much as they needed, God is telling us that his vision is to free us from those like continuing unending expectations of financial and stuff growth. 
and to invite us into remembering what it looks like to count on him. And I know that that can be really, really hard, right? Because that's not at all what society tells us or what society wants for us. But it's what God says. And God says that in that vision for his community, everybody has enough and we can trust him. For me, right, it's actually, it was kind of weird thinking about this because I live in a shoebox apartment and I like don't even have a dresser and I don't have any kind of extra storage and like all my stuff fits there. And I was like, there's no way that I have excess because everything fits in my car. And then I started thinking about things in a different way. And I remembered back at that church in California, how I got so much is there were people who had a lot of things that they used sometimes and they gave them to me. And those were the things that I used all of the time. Like shirts that they wore once a month were shirts that I wore like too many times a week for me to admit to. And like, you know, the pot that they would pull out, like if they hadn't gotten around to dishes in a few days, was like literally the only pot that I owned. And so I went back through all of my stuff and I started thinking about things that way. I was like, what are my sometimes that might be somebody else's all the time? And then all of a sudden, I had like three trash bags less of stuff, which was pretty embarrassing because I really didn't think that I had that much at all. But it turns out I had way too much. And so I want to encourage all of us who currently have too much to just like go through all of your stuff. It might be a big daunting task, but if it is, that's probably a sign that you need to, right? Maybe just take it one room at a time. There are a ton of different ways you can do it. You can do it how I did it. You can do, there's like this trick where you put everything in boxes and at the end of two months, whatever you haven't pulled out is something that needs to go. You can Marie Kondo your life. I've never watched her videos. I've heard they're great. There are so many different ways that you can go about it. But looking at the tangible representation of our excess may be our best start to reorienting to what does it look like to be a community that trusts God, has empathy for those who don't, and can be a safe and providing place for people who need it. So, God's vision for his people is a community where everybody has just enough. I think that it's powerful. I think that it's beautiful. I am grateful that we have this story of God leading people from desperation and scarcity into abundance and trust. And that's something that I want to be a part of. And I would love if it's something that you were a part of too. So I'm going to pray for us. And then Phil is going to come up and close us out. Dear God, thank you so much for Exodus. Thank you for this quirky but awesome story and for quails falling from the sky. As we go into this week, God, I just want to pray that we would look at our lives and that if we are people who don't have enough, that we would believe in and stick true to the story that that is not what God wants for us and that we would be willing to ask for help and that we would be willing to speak up when those needs aren't being met. And if we are people who have too much, God, I would just ask that you reveal us to that and that you would help us use those extras in ways that serve your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.